0: All right, we're going to be in Acts chapter 3. We're going to read verses 11 through 20. Acts chapter 3, verses 11 through 20. So it says, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied
1: All right, good morning. You guys doing okay? Yes. Today's Mikhail's birthday. So, happy birthday, Mikhail. Happy birthday, Mikhail. He turns 13 today, so that's exciting. <laughs> you all are so young. All right, when you have something to do, how you view that task changes your attitude about the task. Do you see it as an obligation or as an opportunity? Obligation or opportunity. Think about that for a minute. Think, for example, about um, parenting. And if you're especially in the stage of parenting young kids and you're a Christian, you think, well, I have this obligation to raise these kids up to be good little Christians who know how to sit in church and obey their mommy and daddy and not lie. And you feel that obligation to teach them. And that's one way to look at parenting. And I'm telling you, that can crush you. But what if you looked at it instead as an opportunity? What I mean by that, and this was really brought out, by the way, in Paul Tripp's book, Parenting, where he talks about the difference between being an owner and being an ambassador. You're not an owner of your kids, but what you are is an ambassador of Jesus Christ to your kids. Think about that. And now, it's not an obligation that I just get them to behave right, but it is a opportunity of showing them the love of the Father, of showing them Jesus Christ, of showing them what God looks like and how he loves. Changes the whole thing. I think about being a husband. The Bible says to love your wives as Christ loved the church. And I can say, well, Jesus died for my sin. and gave it all. I need to give it all for my wife. And all that's true. And I can see it that way, and it feels more like an obligation. But what if I saw loving Courtney like an opportunity? I can show Courtney what it looks like when Jesus loved the church and gave himself for her and sacrificed himself and, and thought more about her than about himself and it's an opportunity to display Jesus Christ to my wife. See, the difference, I mean, how we view it changes everything. And now how about sharing your faith, personal evangelism, telling other people about Jesus. I think we all feel like, well, that's kind of an obligation. And... and we preachers preach it that way. Come on, get on it. Pound the pulpit. Jesus died for you. You should share your faith. He told you to preach the gospel to every creature. Now go do it, go do it, go do it. And we get this obligation, oh, I gotta do it. But really, I wanna share with you this morning, it is an incredible opportunity to give people the very thing they need the most. To bring soul refreshment to people to help them see the power of Christ to change lives. We'll talk about all of that. I think it's exactly what Peter did. So you got Peter and John, they walk into the temple. We saw this last week, really, last week's message and this week's message go hand in hand. It's all one story. And Peter and John walk in. They see this lame beggar who they saw daily at the gate, but today was different. And they looked at him with the eyes of Jesus Christ. And they said to him, rise up and walk. And by faith in the name of Jesus Christ, he did and um, everything changed, but what that did is that act of kindness led now to multiplied gospel opportunities. Really, that's the summary of the f- chapter three of Acts: Acts of Kindness lead to multiplied gospel opportunities. And last week we spent a lot of time talking about the acts of kindness, and today I wanna hone in on this, this um, opportunity that Peter seizes by faith to preach the gospel to these people. So here's the big idea of the day, you can write it down. Outreach is more than obligation, it is an opportunity. Write it down, outreach is more than an obligation, it's an opportunity. I want to see this in the text itself, so let's go to verse number 11, and let's just unpack this together. Acts 3, verse 11. This is a, uh, really a lovely picture. While he clung to Peter and John, this is a man who was just rescued from his ailment of being lame, but also rescued from his sin. And he's worshiping, and he's so thankful, and he's clinging to Peter and John. But what happens is the people saw it, and they were utterly astounded. And so Peter and John and the lame guy were, were, or formerly lame guy, were worshiping and now they were coming out of the temple and they were going back through and they end up in Solomon's portico, which is just another section of the temple and the people are just f- coming to them, excited to see what God has done, is what Peter does. And Peter says in verse 12, and when Peter saw, saw it, all the people gathering around, he addressed the people he said this, men of Israel, Why do you wonder at this, and why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses in his name, by faith in his name. He made this man strong, him you see now and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. And He stands up and by faith he preaches to them, seizes that opportunity. And what I want to do in our text today, is just do our time today, is really look at this passage and look at this sermon. And what did Peter share? What opportunity did he take? Like, he's got a crowd of people. They're amazed. Their attention is raptured, so to speak, by this event. So what is he going to do? How is he going to present truth? And what's he going to share? Well, I want to share that with you and point out to you this. When we preach the gospel, we have the opportunity to share three different truths. And here's truth number one. When we preach the gospel, we have the opportunity to share the life-changing power of our Savior, the life-changing power changing power of our Savior. It's exactly what he did. And he did it in a very specific way. First of all, he lets them know who Jesus is without a doubt when he says, hey, it was the God of our fathers. It was the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac. It was our God who sent this Jesus to you. And what you did is you killed him buried him. He was raised from the dead. He rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven. And now he is sitting in a position of glorification. The text says that God glorified him. And how do we know he's glorified? Because what we're seeing now is the multiplied impact of his power. When he walked, he was healing people. But now his disciples are given that same gift. And the impact of his power is multiplying. People are impacted when they see Jesus Christ, and the power of his name can heal miraculously. I'm going to say it again. The power of his name can heal miraculously. Do you believe that? Now, i got to say a few things about that because it could be somewhat Confusing. I don't think that the gift of healing that we see in the book of Acts is identical to the gift of healing we have today. Uh, I don't know that if if Craig and I got the gumption up to go down to the hospital and just start saying to people, rise up and walk, rise up and walk. I don't know how well that would go for us. (laughs) But I can tell you, I have seen and heard of stories of Jesus doing miraculous healing, so he can do it if he wants to But I have witnessed firsthand in my own life, personally, and as God has used me in the life of others, radical, incredible, miraculous change by the power of Jesus' name. I had a guy come to my counseling once, and uh, I noticed when he gave me all of his information that he was driving two hours to come to my office. And I was like, this is really strange. And and he said, "Uh, this is now, you're the 20th counselor I've been to. I've been to 19 other counselors, and now here you go. And by the way, here are all my issues, and he lists. Uh, this wasn't his list, by the way. Uh, I just that's a <laughs> random one from the internet. But uh, there, there was he had a list of all the issues that he was dealing with, and there was like a list of psychiatric labels that he had been given. And I, I got to admit, I kind of prayed, Lord, why me? <laughs> why is this guy in my office? But you know, listen, I, I believe God's word has the answer. Do you want another shot at it? I'll give you another shot at it. I believe God's word has the answer. And I believe that the power of Jesus to heal people is still very active today. So I believe that. So I'm just going to do what I always do. And I'm just going to tell him about Jesus and give him the help of Jesus and help him to learn how to live in the joy of the gospel every day. And so we just began talking about these things and working through these things. And I remember the day he came in and like, pastor, I get it. I get it. I've been thinking about myself, and I've been so focused on myself, and all these issues are really about, I just care about me. But I'm going to start looking at Jesus and what he's done, and I'm going to start living in that. And I'm telling you, weeks later, we're able to graduate that guy out of the counseling room back to his home church because what Jesus did in his life. I I didn't feel worthy or capable, and I wasn't, but Jesus is, and he did it. And that's just one story. I mean, I could pass the mic around that I can have you share your story. And we've heard him in our church of miraculous, incredible life change that comes through the power of Jesus Christ. And the world desperately needs to see the power of Jesus. Your neighbor needs to see the power of Jesus, your coworker, and, and we have the opportunity to show that to them and bring that to them. And most people are walking around frustrated about how they can't change and how they can't get this accomplished in their life and they're frustrated by who they are and they want to change and they just can't do it. I was listening to this. This is so hard to admit, but I'm gonna admit something this morning. You're a church of grace, right? Yes. Amen. Uh, thank you so much. This week I started listening to country music. I know, I know, I know, I know. So uh, it's Drew's fault. Okay, so he preached about it. And then uh, this, past, was we, this week or last week, I forget what it well, was, we're at lunch together, and Drew was kind of singing the song that said, you name the babies, I'll name the dogs. And I thought, that's a stupid song. That is so stupid. So I, I got home to Courtney, and I was like, babe, you got to, I mean, I haven't heard this yet, but this is a song that Drew was singing. L- l- let's listen to it. I'm like, I kind of like that song. <laughs> <laughs> this can't be happening to me. This cannot be happening to me. And uh, so then I should listen to more Blake Shelton songs. In fact, this morning I was coming in, I, was, I, I gave you know, juice cards in the shop, so I was going to you know, have some Blake Shelton moments with Drew this morning. And uh, um, there's a song that he has called Bible Verses. Have you heard this song? Yeah. And I don't know if he wrote it or who wrote it, but basically the song is saying that every time he says I pick up the Bible, instead of reading Bible verses, it's like the Bible versus me. And he feels the condemnation from the Bible and how he can't be the guy that he wants to be. I imagine Blake Shelton, or the guy who wrote it, grew up in the church, had heard the truth, but never came to the grace of Jesus Christ. And all he feels is condemnation. All he feels like, I'm not enough, I'm not enough, I'm not enough. And the world feels that. But we, we can Blake Shelton change in the power of Jesus Christ? Amen. So I'm going to go audition for The Voice next uh, time <laughs> just to get to meet him and maybe he'd choose me and then... No. <laughs> Most people walk around with a hole that they can't fill. And they're not living fulfilled. But we can bring fulfillment and joy and peace and comfort and hope to people by sharing Jesus with them. It's not an obligation. It's an opportunity. Man, the very thing you need, we got. And we can share with you and you can find that. And You believe this, right? Okay, all right, but do you? Because the honesty is, I don't know that most people in this room are living in the fulfillment of joy and peace and comfort and hope of Jesus Christ. And if you're not experiencing that yourself, you're not living in that, there's no way that's gonna come pouring out of you in your life. And I wanna help you, because you need to do nothing other than believe the gospel story. Every day of your life to live in peace and joy and comfort and hope. So, a couple of questions for you as you try to apply this to your life today. How do you view all this? Do you, being honest, does sharing Jesus, feel more like an obligation or an opportunity? In what ways have you seen the power of Jesus Christ in your life? How can you share that with others? And do you live in the fulfillment, the joy, the peace, the comfort, and the hope that comes through Jesus Christ? Or do you struggle to really believe that can be true for you? Man, it's awesome. We have such a great answer for people. Let's be passionate about sharing that. When we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity to share with others the life-changing power of our Savior. Number two, write this down. When we preach the gospel to others, we also have the opportunity to share the soul-refreshing grace of our saviors the soul-refreshing grace of our Savior. Now I want to show this to Peter. Peter's got this group that's come. They're surrounding him now. He's got all these people in front of them. And what message is he going to deliver to these people? Surely it's not going to be offensive. Surely it's going to be something that's going to make them feel good about themselves and good about life and that they'll want to come back and hear more. Surely it's got to be some of that. Well, let's see what he does. Verse number 13. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob and the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him, like Pilate was going to release him. And you weren't okay with that. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. We saw, we know what you did. And they knew it. Imagine being them. I mean, they they knew Barabbas was a really bad guy. They knew it. His criminal exploits were the news of the day. They knew this guy was a horrific criminal. And. There was not one person in that crowd that Jesus had ever wronged. Do you know that? I can say that strongly by faith because he never sinned. He never wronged any of them, didn't do one thing wrong to them. Probably many of them witnessed his healing, and yet there they were. And they said, crucify him, crucify him, and release Barabbas, and release Barabbas. They did that. And Peter needed them to know that they knew and the Lord knew and they were guilty. And he needed them to feel the weight of their guilt. But then he points to the solution that they need. Take a look at verse number 16. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. And it's faith in Jesus Christ. It's faith in him. That's what's needed. But first, before that happens, there's another step that needs to take place. Verse number 17, and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did our, also your rulers. By the way, just a quick question, verse number 17, did their ignorance mean that they were then innocent? Just like last week when um, Adam got pulled over by the police officer and he said, I didn't know it was 55 and not 75. You know, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. He, still got, he didn't really get a ticket. I'm just kidding. In fact, I was driving once when I got a ticket when Adam was in the car, but that's another story for later. Not going to tell it today. That's for later. Ignorance does not excuse, Okay. The law is still the law, and we're still breakers of the law, even though we were ignorant of it. But verse number 18. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Here it is, verse number 19. Repent, therefore. Church, what was his message to them? What was it supposed to do? Verse number 19, they were to repent, repent therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. He doesn't go light on the sin. which is unfortunately where the church in America has gone. We've gone light on the sin. We've gone heavy on social issues that resonate with the culture of the day. And we avoid anything that might offend. It's not the preaching we see in the Bible. The preaching we see in the Bible is not sugar-coated, but honest about our failure but it's calling to something. It's calling to repentance. Sure, Nathan, come here. I saw you goofing off, buddy. I got (laughs) you. I got you. All right. So Nathan is a sinner, and he is walking away from God. He's walking away from God. Remember repentance? He's walking away from God. No, come here. And at one time, he's going to be confronted with (laughs) the truth of the word of God, and he has a choice. Am I gonna continue walking my way or am I going to turn from it and walk a new way? You can have a seat, bud. Repentance, that's repentance, that's repentance. It's a turning. I was going the wrong way, and I'm going to turn from it and come back, and that's the message that was needed for them. They had to see their sin, acknowledge it as sin, and in disgust of their wretchedness, turn from it and turn back to God, and repentance is the message of the book of Acts. It's all through the book of Acts. He preached it in Acts 2.38 when he said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Same thing in Acts three nineteen we just read it. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Peter's gonna preach it again in Acts 22 when he says repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. Paul is gonna preach it in Acts 17.30 when he says the times of ignorance that God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. In fact, would you read from, from the word but on in this text, let's read it together. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Repent. So, love you. Can I say to you, it's time to turn from the sin. Acknowledge it as what God calls it sin. And it's time to repent. Because there is something amazing that happens when we repent. Verse 20, look at the text. So that. Times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Soul refreshment. Do you know that most people, I'm going to say even Christians, live in soul torment? Be honest with me. Come on, we're, we're here in church. It's okay to be real with your pastor this morning. You can admit it. There's the you you want to be, and there's the you that you are, right? You fill that gap, don't you? Man, I'm sick of being this way. I know better than this, and I'm falling to the same stupid sins I always fall to. I can't seem to have victory over that, and I'm just so frustrated. I feel such a, such an idiot. Like, Why am I the way that I am? There's this massive gap, And I think most of us walk around with some level of guilt, shame, frustration. Why can't I get it right? There is a gap. And the only thing that fills that gap is the accomplished work of Jesus Christ that's been done already. He has filled the gap with the cross. And what you can do tomorrow is you can wake up and you can say, man, I know I should have done this better and this better, but you know what? God, forgive me and blot out my sin. And when God forgives you and blots out your sin, man, there comes, and you believe that, there comes a refreshment of your soul. I have felt it time and time again. And sometimes the very thing you need the most is also the very thing you long for the most. The very thing you need the most is also the very thing you long for the most. Imagine a guy in a desert who is longing for water and he needs water. I didn't realize until I got here that that's actually Tom Cruise. uh, So forgive that. I don't know, didn't even... Didn't even mean to put Tom in the sermon today, but there he is. Now, look. Again, I say, you gotta live in that, but do you know this is what the people around you need? They are living in soul torment. They are. People around you are struggling with guilt and shame, regret. Just watch TV shows. man. It is scattered all throughout shows that you watch that people are just living in guilt and shame and, and, and resisting forgiveness because they want to beat them I mean it's all over and the very thing they need is available through, and you have the opportunity of bringing the soul refreshment of God's grace into people's life you got to live in it first yourself <laughs> it's got to come out of your heart the overflow of your heart But that's the opportunity you have to share. When we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity to show others the life-changing power of our Savior, the soul-refreshing grace of our Savior. And lastly, I want you to write this down. The eternal, the eternity-impacting hope of our Savior. The eternity-impacting hope of our Savior. This is found back in the text. Let your eyes fall back in Acts chapter 3 again. And we're going to let our eyes go down to actually verse, uh, well, I want to show you something he does here that's really incredible. So all along the way, uh, Peter is talking about uh, the prophets, the prophets, the prophets. In fact, take a look at verse number 20 in the text, if you would please. Verse number 20, that times of the refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed to you Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring for all things which God spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets long ago. And he mentioned them earlier in the text as well. the uh, Verse number 18, but God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. So he's talking about the prophets. And it makes a lot of sense when you begin to think about who he had around. And what he's trying to do right now is he's trying to put this hope that he's talking about. He's trying to settle this hope and truth because he just made a ridiculous claim. He just said their sins may be blotted out. Your sins can be blotted out. Well, that's ridiculous. Wouldn't it be nice if that were true? Wouldn't it be incredible if I can just pray your prayer and all the wrong that I ever did was just blotted out of the books of God? Wouldn't that be incredible if that record of debt against me was canceled? That'd be amazing, but what's just way too good to be true, or is it? And he's with all these Jewish folks, and he wants to ground what he's telling them in solid truth. And they knew the prophecies. They knew them well. We were watching the second season now of The Chosen, and there's this scene and I had to do a screen capture on my phone just to get it right. That's why this looks like that. But it was Philip and it was the apostles and they're standing around, and they're talking. And Philip begins to quote the prophecies. And all the men that are there begin to quote them right along with them. Why could they quote them? Because from age 12 on, they memorized large portions of the Bible. And so they knew the prophecies. And these claims that Peter's making, that their sins may be blotted out, Well, how about Isaiah 53? they promised that would happen. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Man, that crazy truth isn't a truth that Peter's just making up. It's a truth grounded on solid Bible prophecy do you know that one of the reasons why our society has such little hope is because they've abandoned truth and they've abandoned the idea of absolute truth what's right and what's wrong how do I know I'm right or how do I know I'm wrong Okay, go to our society in 1950 and ask that question, and then in 1970, and then in 1990, and then in today, and you're going to hear vastly different answers of what's right and what's wrong. Because society has no ground of truth. And today, we push against truth. You can't tell me that you have truth and I don't have truth. I have my truth. So if I say that I'm a duck, then I'm a duck. Or whatever you want to identify as. But how hopeless is that? If there is no truth, there is no right, there is no wrong, there is no reality, and that there's no security in that. But we know the truth. And we can help people settle their hope in truth. And what Peter offers to them is a hope settled in truth. But more than that, Let's go to verses 20 and 21 to see this. He does more than that. And that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. You know, uh, he's saying here, one day Jesus is coming again. That's what he's saying. 21, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of the prophet's Holy prophets long ago. Verse number 24, if you would. And all the prophets have spoken from Samuel and those who come after him to and proclaim these days. Now, it's interesting we do a study on these days because he's really talking about all the days of Jesus. And there's a, a past, present, and future element to all these promises. He said he would come as a baby. He did come, just like he said. He died. He paid for your sins that just happened in their world, and he's coming again. And the Old Testament predicts all of those things. And he's saying, just as sure, you've seen it, you've witnessed the fact that he did come as he said. He did. He suffered like he promised he would, and you know he's coming again one day. And I'm telling you, what that does is that brings incredible hope, because we live in a broken world. Do you know that? If you're doubting that, can I just say the word COVID? Or cancer uh, Courtney has a friend whose son was in a tragic car accident and his, uh, he ended up going without oxygen for 15-20 minutes and, and to today as we speak he is lying in a hospital room and um, slowly slowly gaining just any kind of ability and mental cognizance back and he's got a long long road if he ever fully recovers we don't know and there are just times when you look at a situation and you say, this is not how it should be. This is just not how it should be. A 20-year-old guy right now with the capacity of an infant, this is not how it should be. And I am telling you, man, your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, your loved ones who don't know Christ, they are saying that all the time in their own hearts. This isn't how it should be. It shouldn't be this way here's what's awesome it won't always be this way because Jesus is going to restore all things do you believe that this morning that one day he's going to come and he's going to restore sin what sin has broken sin broke the world Jesus is going to heal the world and everything's going to be as it should be again one day I'm looking forward to that day and that is the message we have to share with those around us They don't have a hope in a future. I mean, think about being an evolutionist, and what's going to happen to you is that one day you'll die and then you'll cease to exist. But if you know Jesus, you know I'm going to live forever in eternity in His presence. And I don't know about you, but some of the best, most joyful times in my life are those when I am just with Jesus. But one day it's going to be in perfection, in paradise, in holiness. And I long for that day. Sharing your faith is an opportunity to show people the life-changing power of our Savior, the soul-refreshing grace of our Savior, and the eternity-impacting hope of our Savior. Now, what I want to do, and every time I preach, I want this, I want the sermon to change the way you look at life. So tomorrow's Monday, right? Uh, You guys got plans for Tomorrow? You're probably going to do what you always do on Monday. And maybe that's get up, hopefully shower and brush your teeth. I hope that's something you do all the time. And then you're going to get dressed and you're going to go someplace, maybe to work, maybe to school, wherever you do. You're going to begin living life again. But, but, but if you can adopt this mentality that there are massive needs around me, deep needs, eternal needs, soul needs, and I have Jesus and he's the answer. And yeah, they may get frustrated when I talk about things like repentance or whatever, but if they just believe, they're gonna find the greatest thing in the universe I have, the very thing they need the most. And just, just, how are we gonna be different about that? Now, I don't believe that you can do that in your own power. I believe that we desperately need God's help. Are you with me on this? We desperately need God's help to change that. And then I believe that if we ask him to change it, He will, even not immediately, but eventually he'll help us change that perspective. So here's how we're gonna end. We're gonna end praying for this. What I'd like you to do is get with some folks around you. We can do this. And I want you just to huddle up in a little group around you, around around the church. And would you just pray for God to help you see the opportunity to feel this sharing of the gospel, not as an obligation, a weighty obligation, but as a glorious opportunity and that God would help you to raise up your eyes and see it. So take a moment right now, get with the group, and let's pray. I'll come join. So why, why into service in prayer? Why do that? It's uh, you know it's not the normal way we do it. Like normally there's an emotional song and we all sing it together, or uh, I'll give an invitation to invite people to come down and walk down the aisle or whatever. And um, I don't know that. And, th- and there there are times when that's a good thing to do. There's you know both those are proper responses to the end of a message. But I think more often probably is just the need to cry out to God for desperation. I know that when I preach sometimes I say, here's the bar. So tomorrow you're going to see witnessing as an opportunity. So quit being stupid about it and start seeing it as an opportunity. You know, you're going to preach that way. And, and, I, and I don't, I don't want to burden you with moral law because I know that none of us can do that on our own. So the right response is to feel the desperation that I need God I need God to do this in me. I can't do it on my own. I need God's help in this. So feel that desperation, but then also pray with expectation that he does change me. He can hear that prayer, and I can be different because of his work in my life. Those two key things gotta just drive our prayer, desperation, expectation. Say it with me. Desperation, expectation. Both of those are part of our passionate prayer life. And that's why you'll you'll see as we go along that more and more we we, we need the Lord. Therefore, we got to pray, and the right response to a message is, God, help me do it and help my brother next to me because we're in community, right? Right? Help my brother next to me do it, and I want to pray for him that we'll all do it together. So let me pray for us all. Uh, Father, we are desperate because we have have no righteousness. We have no good in us. There's just none of that in us at all, but we have you and your spirit, and you change us, and you can change us and help us. Lord, I was just praying just a few moments ago how it's so easy for me to be sitting in my living room and to look out my window and to see one of my neighbors and be like, oh, man, I know I need to go out there and talk to him." but, man, well, Jesus died for me, so I need to do it, Lord. You know, that, that obligation, motivation can easily drive me. But, Father, I want to I see it differently this week. I want to I see my neighbor out my window working on his yard, and I want to say, he needs the Lord, and I have the answer. Oh, what an opportunity I have to bring the message of Jesus to him. And even as we're talking and listening, just, just knowing I need to, at some point, point out the sin and to not be hesitant or apologetic or sugarcoat things, but to really be honest about what our sin is so that I can get to the opportunity of saying, but we're forgiven in Christ And Father, that you would just help me to see that whole thing differently, but I need your help to do that. And so I pray that you would help us in all of us and we'll live for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, church, you are loved.